This is Leslie Kane, and you're listening to That UFO Podcast. Did you know that podcast advertising is way more effective than display advertising? With 67% of listeners remembering brands and 63% making a purchase after hearing them. Whether you want to diversify your ad spend, add a new marketing stream, or test out podcast ads, Zencaster's Creator Network makes it easy for brands to connect with podcasters. Zencaster's mission is to make podcast advertisements as easy and accessible to business owners as Google or Facebook. Host-read ads like this are the most effective form of podcast advertising. Zencaster works with podcasters to help create unique to them ad spots that create brand awareness and conversion. Zencaster's Creator Network is the perfect place for you to get into podcast ads and sponsor your favourite creators like me. I've worked with Zencaster now for some time and they've truly put the content creators and the listeners at the heart of what they do. As a huge fan of podcasts myself, and I really mean that, I love podcasts, I often buy products or services that I find useful to me based on those pods that I'm listening to. It supports them and there's usually a good discount to go along with it. So if you're interested in sponsoring this show or another podcast with adverts for your business, go to zen.ai forward slash that UFO pod one, that's the number one, or click the link in the description and fill out the contact information so Zencaster can help you bring your business story to life. Hi everyone and welcome back to That UFO Podcast. My name is Andy and I'm going to kick off with a joke. Dan, knock knock. Who's there? Not the UFO report due to Congress <laughs> on the 31st of October 2022. We are still waiting on it as we come into another breakdown for this month. Is it fair to say, Dan, by this point, we thought we would have had a breaking news pod on the report. We thought we would have dissected the report and also spoken to a guest or two about the report as well. Yeah, yeah, 110%. We, we all expected to have this available publicly by now. And it's not happened. It's not even delivered to Congress yet, as far as we know. No. Um, so at this point, do you think it's going to come out before like, even New Year? You know is what? There any, really... Is there any reason to think it wouldn't be months down the line? Because everyone seems to still... Well, not everyone. Um, that's wrong. People seem to still think it's, it's, it's coming soon. And it just made me think, well, who's to say it's not February or March, you know? Yeah, I mean, it could be that long. All I've heard is when I've spoken to a DNI is that it's going through the process of being approved through all the different apartments where they're signing off on it. That kind of process will take as long as it takes, I guess. It could be as well that the release is being held off until the legislation is signed in mm-hmm. because the you know things have changed a little bit there in terms of the immunity stuff and the expectation of what's contained in the report. So that... The, the old remit for the report does not fulfill the new remit. So, yeah, they might be holding off to to change that. But who knows? We'll, we'll see when it comes. Yeah, and it's still a preliminary. Oh, God, I can't say the word preliminary. Preliminary. <laughs> it's a preliminary report. That should be removed from the Scottish vocabulary, that word. It's impossible. Um, <laughs> it's still a, a first-stage report, given it's Sean Kirkpatrick and, and team's first attempt at the report so it may not be the worst thing that it's that's delayed yeah um like you say it could be getting changed could be amended to no one knows at the minute that seems to be the thing doesn't it it was asked about at a um, pentagon briefing just a few days ago by a journalist so it's still being asked about by by journalists and it was very much like you say it's it's with uh, the right people for a review and that's all they know yeah that's, and that's all, all we know. we're going to get so and, th- and i would just emphasize that 
because there are a lot of people out there saying they do know they they don't we're, we're hearing speculation and rumors you know it, it's going through the process and that's all anyone knows really and unless you're on the inside where you wouldn't be able to talk about this there wouldn't be any more information there do you not hate when people say they know for sure dan <laughs> but, you, but you're saying you know for sure that people don't know yeah i i, yeah. I put money on saying that people don't know it's just rumors <laughs> and speculation <laughs> yeah I've I've heard a date, but I don't want. No, I haven't. I'm joking. Yeah, I, I think that's it. That no one really does know. Something most... happened twentieth, fifth of December. That's a pretty. You know, I'm hearing a lot of, of people talk about that date. So either it's a holiday or something's happening. I'm kidding. By the way, it's Christmas. <laughs> so yeah. That's all. And happy Thanksgiving day after to those of you who who celebrate such. Still not entirely sure, other than a viewing of the Adams Family when I was a kid, and there was a scene about Thanksgiving as to what it actually is. But it looks like a fun. Uh, pre preemptive christmas i, so, I yeah. was treated to thanksgiving once in university i had someone from new york lila claghorn uh she she was kind of in my dorm and she did thanksgiving for us all and the amount of food was disgusting but it was delicious and we all had a a great time but even after partaking in it i'm not sure what it's about um i i yeah <laughs> coaxing your enemies in to it destroy seems... them i feel like that's traditional <laughs> It seems a day for abundance and excess. And do you know what? There's an excess of foyer requests by Wee. John Greenwald. <laughs> Boom. There is a lovely segue. Uh, yeah, just on the delayed report, if, if you feel a little bit down or a bit jaded about the fact this hasn't come out, even though, to be honest, it wasn't going to be groundbreaking or earth shattering, it was going to be similar, I think, at least to what we had last time. Yeah. Um, but I was still excited to see it and will be when it comes out. John Greenwald had a foyer request back recently where basically that it's they're still actively investigating what was the phrasing hundreds of reports hundreds. so remember what what initially was set up by the task force and the dan remind me there was legislation that followed is legislation the right word where the navy and such put out a I'm, I'm forgetting all the terminology now, but it's probably a good thing for people who are like myself and not into <laughs> the terminology, but that they requested personnel report more, that they wanted to get more yeah. reports in. When yeah, all that they, came out... reporting was, guidance given out. Yeah, but the guidance changed, and you know we want to know about reports of UAP, that that is, I think, a real win from the last couple of years that we are getting more reports and john greenwald with his fantastic foyer work that he does has got that confirmed that these reports are still coming in in the hundreds by personnel all over so that that's good and just literally before we recorded this dan i don't know if you saw john greenwald's kind of breaking news piece um it's a commercial airlines recording of oh. um a uap report the, the the audio i was listening to it it's 33 minutes long but it's been condensed down just to remove long pauses and stuff but it's um various different commercial airlines reporting the same well i say phenomena the same lights um one of them originally at thirty-five thousand feet sees uh what they call a sea of lights on the ground that he says of lights yeah over Kansas in September 2022, so just two months ago, as we record this, um, and they report it. There, the the air traffic control sort of summarise: could it be a football stadium or whatever? But the location they're at, they're saying there's nothing that should account for the amount of lights that they're seeing, or that those lights should even be there. They weren't entirely bright lights; they were relatively dim, from what they said. But they tracked them or followed them for 50 miles, apparently, and wow. they they then radio other 
uh, aircraft to ask who are going to be in the area. Can they see these lights as well? And there are reports that they did see them. So I hadn't got a chance to listen to the full audio, but that's one I would recommend. I'm on John Greenwald's Patreon as well. So um, that's why I've got that through. So if you can check that out, folks, go and have a little listen just to hear some commercial airline chatter about uh, essentially a, a sighting of lights. I'm not going to say UFO sighting, but... Um, well, we don't know what they are. We can we can say UFO sighting for now because we don't know what they are. So they are literally unidentified flying objects. Almost definitely alien spacecraft, but I don't <laughs> want to say too much. Reptilians. Uh, yes, absolutely. Yeah, Zeta Reticuli, all that jazz. So yeah, I thought that was quite interesting to listen to. Um, always, always a cool one. So well done to John. So yeah, these reports are still coming in, folks, from all sorts. So even if this report eventually comes out from the UFO team at Arrow, and it's a it's a nothing burger, as people like to say, or a nothing burger, as people like to say in an American accent. Um, don't worry, because the subject doesn't go away. Reports still come in. There are still things flying about in the skies, under the water, and in space that we do not know what they are and do not know where they are from. So the subject goes on. So we'll see yeah. when the report comes out. That might be a good place to actually mention um, Ross Coulthard's comment. I think I was going to do this later, but might be a good place to put it now, Dan. Slamming. Uh, yeah, it, it was on with uh, James Iandoli engaging the phenomena on his channel and uh, Ryan Robbins, UFO Jesus, and Chris Sharp, Liberation Times. They were all chatting on Crash Retrieval Week, which is being promoted this week, finishes this weekend. Um, that's something that James Iandoli started uh, a year or so ago to promote the idea and the crash retrieval stuff. It was based on the New York Times articles due to come out. Um, but Ross Coulter, unlike Ross, a lot of people picked up on him sounding quite downbeat at the moment regarding people coming forward and the progress of the UFO conversation in terms of a political movement. Ross is always very upbeat, isn't he, on it? And very you know, excited and very much, you know, things are happening. And for a change, Ross seemed a little bit downbeat. Did you get a chance to catch the video or even the comments on this one? Seen a lot of the comments, uh, so so a chunk of the video. And yeah, you're right. Ross is usually, you know, there's a there's a fire under his butt usually. Uh, but this time, uh, it was a little downtrodden. And we we've heard a lot about people saying that things are being walked back, that they're trying to put this ketchup back in the bottle and and literally, you know, we, we talked before about how impossible it is to kind of put ketchup tightly back in a bottle. But Ross was very, very optimistic that there was some news coming that was around the same week of, of the report dropping as well. Was but it the, the October surprise? surprise? Yeah, was, the October yeah, surprise. A few people and, picked up on and that. And nothing's yeah. really emerged. So... James Fox did a similar thing, you know, he, he said there was some news coming and now he said it's been delayed by a month or two. So for all we know, a lot of this is kind of bundled up into that report and whether that's going to drop first and then all this stuff will come out. Uh, but it seems that there are a lot of moving pieces here. So, you, you know, this isn't kind of in the bank and done, but we know people want to come forward to testify. We know the secure systems being set up, so on and so forth. We're eventually going to get there. But based on Ross's reaction, I would say that uh, it's probably going to take a bit longer than we expected initially. Yeah, he did put out a tweet the day after um, retweeting, retweeting an article. And he himself said, a glimmer of optimism, more US military and government officials with knowledge of or experience with UFOs are expected to come out of the shadows soon. So I think just maybe he was just being a little bit more on the on the negative side. But potentially a little bit more realistic given maybe some things have happened in the background like you say that it's not going to be as quick as he had hoped and he did go 
all out with this October surprise stuff, like a few people did. And I just don't know if there was a real basis for it. Maybe they heard something. Maybe it was a case of, you know, a snowball going down the hill and it just became an avalanche with other people saying the same kind of stuff. Um, never something I had heard anything about. I can say that, I suppose, in hindsight yeah, after same. the event. But I had never had any inkling as to what the October surprise could have been. I remember a few people at the time had got in touch to say, oh, what could it be? Do you know? Nothing. There was never any idea other than the reports due out on Halloween. That that was it, or by Halloween, and it's not came out. So, uh, so yeah, that was. But again, it's refreshing to see Ross kind of pick himself back up and and get right back on the wagon with that one. Ross has done some fantastic reporting on on the subject. Um, what then did kind of bring me around this week? Uh, some really interesting interviews by Richard Dolan. I'll put the links in the description for people to check those out as well. Dan, you have a time to check them. Uh, the the first one, do you want to go with the loose threads first? Or yeah. the appro- Yeah, loose threads. Okay, cool. Yeah, let's do loose threads first. So loose threads. Dan, do you know, or I said, do you know what it is? Of course you know what it is. I know you've watched it and had it <laughs> Um So do you want to give a quick summary of what this loose threads thing is for those who might not have heard of it yeah for sure so uh a number of days ago two two users on twitter posted a nigh on 250 page document that's very thorough and they'd gone through a bunch of research the the paper analyzes a number of kind of recently leaked documents like the davis wilson notes the oak shannon notes uh, the jack uh hook notes uh, i never get that pronunciation right yeah. um along with some other kind of documents publications and interviews and it pieces together a really incredible story and kind of timeline from you know going back to to the 40s really mm-hmm. um of people involved in this subject um and paints a very compelling picture for who it is we should be looking at um as well as kind of covering a couple of main themes so uh it speaks about the advanced theoretical physics working group um that that was from like 1985 if people have ever heard the name john alexander he was involved there that's kind of where he comes from um ufo tracking and baiting as well uh, including kind of directed energy weapons being able to take down ufos 1985 is a vital inflection point as well in terms of when this kind of change started happening uh, and people that were kind of previously on the outside were kind of starting to figure out maybe how they could get on the inside in terms of the ufo subject and then it really dives in as well to remote viewing and ufos and the connections there as well as experience the studies um and that's the stuff really in it that i found you know most intriguing and most compelling uh because yeah they, they were going through basically everything from, from the monroe institute right up to modern day where we, you know, by, by the end of the interview, you'll have a fairly solid notion that there, there is probably a modern day remote viewing program that is ongoing and studying UFOs and experiences. The the two individuals who put it together, they go under pseudonyms online. It's Omega Point and Hermetic Penetrator, Rufflecopter for those two. <laughs> it, Richard Dolan had a little giggle at that name himself. Um, but those two were the the gents who put it together with some some help from others in the background. Dan, from what you say, um, I don't know how big a secret that is or not. But yeah, there there, there was others involved. Oh yeah, there are some names mentioned in in that interview. There, uh, you know, James Iandoli is is always a, a big help to everyone in the community. Uh, yeah, a, a lot of the community came together to, to make this happen, uh, led by those two uh, wonderful folk. What I'd say is, if you're, if you have a a surface level interest in a UFO topic, if you listen to shows like this or others to kind of get your news, and you listen to interviews, and you maybe hear some detail within some of the interviews that you're not too sure of the background, I think if you watch the Richard Dolan interview, 
um, on this. It's three hours long, or you read the document itself. I think there'll be a lot of things within the document. You'll go, ah, that's the background to that, or ah, yes. I've heard Grant Gam- Grant Cameron mention this in one of his recent interviews you know or one of his own shows or i've heard this talked about here's the basis for it or here's where it came from so it really does like like it says it's loose threads it ties up a lot of those loose threads um the to a lot of different things that maybe make sense of that bigger picture um so yeah it was it was pretty interesting um to tie a lot of that in even the idea of that advanced theoretical physics working group or atp um long before ATIP there was I oh, know that is literally yep. just gonna say yeah. pronounced ATIP right. <laughs> yeah. And um it was the task task force delta, it was called originally. That's right. The, yep. the group that came from it. And it was just a group of individuals who had an interest, uh, a high interest in the UFO subject at scientific or military level. Yeah. And uh, um, yeah, ta- Task Force Delta was it was kind of a bit broader. It, it was an army kind of commission group uh, that was just there to think outside the box. Apparently, so far that there wasn't even a box. You know, they they'd just be looking at different solutions and outlying technology that maybe yeah. they could use. Yeah, nothing was off the table. If you want yeah. to have ridiculous notions or discussions about what this could be, how it could work, it was yeah, it was encouraged from the, the language I saw. So yeah, it really does kind of take you back through the decades, um, focusing on documents. Pulling some of these players together, you hear involved in in one thread of the UFO subject, and it pulls them into here's what they were involved in before that and after that as well. So yeah, really, really good work, really interesting. Um, I would suggest most folks would probably benefit from watching the Richard Dolan interview first uh, and getting the information from there. But then definitely give the the gents a shout out and a, a like and such if you can on social media for the work they've done. Um, and then check out the paper if you want to deep dive into that as well. It's something I'll, I'll look into myself eventually yeah, sure. in a very busy week. Uh, but regarding reading that, like you say, it's a big document. It's 250 pages, but there's a lot of really cool stuff in there. So so well done to them for putting in that legwork. Um a couple of new things in there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they, there's a so so a few things that kind of jumped out to me. Uh, one one was there, there was a NASA engineer uh, called Bob Bob Axler who was a UFO researcher as well, which I thought was great because we always talk about NASA being the leader of conspiracies, and here we have a NASA engineer who didn't actually know more, but he wanted to know more, so we went searching, um, and he he came across a, a number of people who basically said to him, I can't talk about that. And then a few years later, other people got in touch with the same folk who, uh, when they asked about UFO programs and engineering that they were a part of, the response, uh, this was from Evan Heinemann, he he literally responded with, I am a long way in quite a few years from working in the area you're researching, which kind of confirms that he worked on it in the past, right? That That's a very potent, and that was a new name to me as well. So, you, you know, there's going to be a lot of Google in there. Um, to get that conversation, uh, they they kind of had to mention uh, Bobby. I want to say Bobby Ray Inman, and yes. quite quite a prominent figure. And this was before as well that guy became such a well known name in the UFO field. So he's being mentioned way before it. He is the oldest living uh, director of national intelligence. So that's a really interesting connection there. Uh, Jay from Project Unity interviewed Bobby Ray Inman. Was it was it Bobby Inman that Jay interviewed? Possibly I, spoke about it a while back. Re- recently, uh, Jay interviewed Oak Shannon, um, which is where a lot of those theoretical physics working group notes came from. Um, but yeah, and they they speak about uh, basically they 
the remote viewing programs get to a point where they're just like, right, we need to kind of bring this under, you know, a, a classified program or somewhere that it's it's better funded and better looked at. And at this point, they were talking to the Monroe Institute, Bob Monroe, uh, and they hosted a, a kind of presentation retreat for, you know, the science board. This is where Kit Green was tasked with basically reviewing remote viewing as a as a you know a real thing. Kit Green in recent years has kind of said, oh, you know, a lot of this is human cause and so on and so forth. But some of the quotes here are, are crazy. So when they said to Kit Green, hey, we want you to review this on the terms that we we essentially want to take these protocols, give them to normal soldiers, and have normal soldiers become remote viewers and outstanding remote viewers. At that point, Kit Green responds with, I looked at their blood tests, their genetic tests, their IQ tests, their neuro neurological tests, and their cardiovascular tests, which has a lot to do with endocrinology. I concluded that these people are abnormal. So this is picking up on what we've heard in recent years with Gary Nolan kind of finding that there's a, you know, some biological differences in experiences, whether that came before the experience or after, uh, yeah. you know, we're not too sure. But Kit Green essentially recommended, hey, you know, we know these biomarkers exist. So instead of just teaching normal soldiers how to remote view, why don't we look for people with these biomarkers? Because we know they'll be rock stars at this. And we'll employ those people instead of just, you know, training normal people, uh, which I thought was astounding thing to say. You know, that that's kind of essentially confirmation from Kit Green of, yes, this works. Yes, there are markers that we can track people in the population and pick them. And then that leads all the way to, and this, was again, was a new bit for me. There were some things in here that I wish that I'd, I'd heard before I spoke to Dr. Greer, by the way, because uh, I definitely would have brought up a whole lot because uh, apparently he was kind of in the mix early 90s in this uh, and his protocols were looked at as a kind of remote viewing 2.0 uh, referred to as remote vectoring, uh, i.e., you know, vector the craft to you, CE5. That's what mm -hmm. we're talking about. Uh, but yeah, we go all the way forward to Rendlesham and John Burroughs, who, who touched the craft and we know that uh, it got to a point where he couldn't get insurance or medical insurance because his records were said to be classified it was kit green who wrote a letter to john mccain who then you know pressured folk to unclassify those medical records so he could actually get the treatment he got the treatment he survived he's still here but as part of that john burroughs was taken to uh Earth tech, and he was briefed on remote viewing and certain types of yoga and meditation, uh, which, you know, come up often. And apparently he was taken to Sedona with uh, some people that, you know, we don't know, but they were from the remote viewing program. And apparently nothing happens. This, this place is apparently like Skinwalker Ranch. Nothing happens. And as they're about to leave, all these craft appear. They see triangle crafts, orbs, and they're asking themselves, you know, why, why did this happen? So John didn't do yoga or meditation or CE5 when they were at this spot. It just seems that these things were attracted to him. And there was a really nice phrase that they used here that, that Gary Nolan brought into our lives uh, called lighthouses in the dark. And it certainly seems like John Burroughs being in this one hot spot seems to have attracted these beings or these craft to this place. Why that happened is anyone's guess. But I think that was an explosive part of the story. I can see you kind of leaning in as I'm telling it. And I'm just yeah, like, yeah. yeah, you know, these craft and orbs apparently just appeared. That's insane. Um, and yeah, it could be that there's a biological marker in people that when you put them in hot spots, you can tell that this kind of stuff is going to happen. And this is early 90s and we're 30 years later now. So you've got to wonder how that's developed. Well, a nice segue into Rich Dolan's other interview that I did watch this week. Uh, but just uh, FYI, 
uh, Jay from Project Unity did interview Admiral Bobby Ray Inman. That he's ninety now. That interview is up on his channel. I'll put the link in the description below. Nice. And um, that was about eight or nine months ago. Now time goes really funny. I thought it was quite recent, but I suppose that is relatively. But yeah, here we go. Um, but you mentioned CE five and remote viewing. An individual who wasn't too fond of CE five <laughs> was uh, Richard Dolan's. Uh, interview with Alan Levine. Alan Levine was part of APRO, the Anomalous, Ph- Anomalous Phenomena Research Organization. Um, and this to me, Dan, I remember I said to you before you listened to it, didn't I, that it felt like a real throwback interview to yeah. the 90s, Art Bell, coast to coast. Here was a guy on talking about, um, and like I say, the name's Alan Levine, uh, nuts and bolts, ET, craft coming from other planets. He he didn't like the idea of um, talking about experiencers, that kind of language, CE5, remote viewing. He felt a lot of that was muddying the waters, almost almost a disinformation type thing to take away from the fact we do have and you know non-human intelligence from other planets visiting us. And it was it was a real throwback sounding interview, um, which not that I necessarily agreed with everything he said at all, but I found it refreshing in a way just with how different the conversation, how broad the conversation can tend to go these days. So it's one I definitely recommend um, people listening to because Alan Levine seemed to impress Rich Dolan with a lot of what he was talking about, the people he was mentioning. Um, I think, Dan, when we discussed the interview, one part of it was, who was it he brought up that I said to you, he told a story? David Adair. David David the, Adair. The, uh, the forest yeah. gump of ufology. Is yeah, so he he brings up David Adair, and he, they talk about Richard Dolan mentions how on I wasn't going to talk about this, but it's quite funny. He mentions how at a conference, I think it was one of the Awakening conferences, but the it was of, I, met, I was yeah. a member of Richard's site when this happened. Where yeah, uh, when he posted it, yeah. So it was like twenty nineteen, maybe before that. Yeah, it was yeah. around there. Yeah, about then he mentions he was there with Mike Barra, and they were watching David Adair talk, and basically. Mike Barr and Richard Dolan are going. Do you believe this guy? Do you can, can you do you believe this? Do you believe this? And Alan Levine very much said David Adair was the real deal, and that David Adair was at Neil Armstrong's house sleeping in his childhood bed the the day Neil Armstrong walked on the moon. Because I mean, that's he, weird because childhood beds are smaller, right? So, like, is he just a full grown adult with his feet yeah. hanging out the edge? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was staying over, but th- there's there's context for the story and everything. But it was it was just quite an interesting conversation. Like I say, folks, go and check it out again. The link will be in the description. Um, I'll make a note of that. But yeah, it, what what interested me was he made comments about, and I, I spoke to you about this, Dan. Experiencers. He doesn't like the term. He prefers eyewitness. And we should be looking for eyewitnesses. And I think some of what he said might upset experiencers and and the way he was talking about it. Again, very dismissive of CE5. What were your thoughts on that? Especially things, Dan, like what you've just mentioned CE5 before. But he laughed at the notion that Dan could go out into his back garden. And it's very dismissive, but basically do some CE5 and that some really intelligent beings traveling millions of light years across the galaxy will stop their their craft to wave and come down to Dan's back garden and see what he wants, which is a very bastardized version of what CE5 is. But <laughs> he's, he's, he's making the gist. What were your thoughts on, on Alan Levine? I, I mean, I, I really enjoyed the interview. Alan has so much knowledge and so much kind of, you know, side, so many sidebars uh, during that interview as well with just interesting things that kind of, you, you know, add to the, the UFO conversation. 
I, I feel like very nuts and bolts driven, you know, like you say, he wants to use witnesses and not experiences and that kind of, we, we've heard that before in some ways um, from others where they say, you know, you don't experience a sandwich, you, you eat the sandwich. <laughs> you can call everything an experience if you want to go that way. Uh, but I, I feel like that was the language difference he was getting at. In terms of CE5 and, and you know, things stopping to wave at us, there's, there's a lot of assumptions there um, about what these beings are, where they come from, to kind of think, why would they stop and, you know, was they kind of coming to the planet to, to wave a bob in his backyard, kind of doing CE5. For all we know, it could be like a tour bus, right? And, and they just hear two sea people who who light up like these lighthouses in the dark to them. You know, what what would be more interesting if, if they are kind of psi-based and they use kind of telepathy and things like that? You would aim for people who were more likely to be able to interact with you as opposed to people that didn't show up, you know? Uh, so... It didn't. It didn't really push anything off the table for me. Uh, I, I thought it was kind of unfortunate that, that he spoke on those notes and vaults terms because, like you say, there's there are going to be a lot of people where that rubs them up the wrong way. Whereas I, I personally, I feel it was just a language thing. You, you know, just words, sure. and, and we're, we're just trying to find that that kind of agreed term that we use to to talk about these things. Because whether they are aliens stopping in the atmosphere to give us a wave or not, there are things there that seem to respond to those protocols. So what they are is anyone's guess. Uh, They didn't necessarily have to come from Zeta Reticuli to to do that waving. It could be an interdimensional thing. And, you know, we've heard ideas as well where CE5, the person doing it is generating the light flash in the sky and it's kind of latent psychic kind of ability. Uh, lots of different possibilities that that I wouldn't kind of push that off the table for. But I, I did love some of the stuff. You, you know, Alan was the first person to speak to Travis Walton. Uh, there, there was a the little day bit around after there. He day came after. back, apparently, yeah. Yeah, and there, there was some interesting, he mentioned about polygraph tests. And what I really mm-hmm. liked about this part of the interview was actually that Alan was emphasizing that polygraph tests are notoriously unreliable. So you kind of have to take them with a pinch of salt. And and there are so many times in cases where polygraphs come up as the be all and end all, and they're not, they're not admissible in court. They can just kind of give you a guidance and tell you whether someone's fibbing to you or not. Um, and then you can kind of follow along the track of, oh, I think they're fibbing, therefore I'll pressure them and they might confess, you know, like that kind of stuff. You uh, have just ruined years of Jerry Springer for many, many people <laughs> their time. Sorry, not sorry. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be completely honest and admit that I do love a bit of cool technology, but not all the best tech is classified. So when Blendjet got in touch about their new Blendjet 2.0, I was very excited to try it out, especially as one of those protein shake people that many folks hate. Just shaking never has the same results as a blender does, let's be fair. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. It's small enough to fit in a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house a big one for me folks and it lasts for 15 or more blends and recharges quickly via USB-C best of all Blendjet 2 cleans itself just blend with water a drop of soap and you're good to go with over 30 colours available there are something for everyone personally I'm a huge fan of the carbon fibre what are you waiting for go to Blendjet.com and grab yours today and be sure to use the promo code 
code THATUFO12 to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power and innovation of the Blended Jet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with the Blendjet 2 Portable Blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code THATUFO12 to get 12% off, remember folks, and that free two-day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. Babbel is one of today's sponsors and they are the best way for you to begin to learn a new language. Immersing yourself in the language of your choice from day one through a whole range of learning styles including podcasts, games and online classes. It's available on desktop or through their app. Babbel's courses are created by didactics experts and focus on real-life situations. So if you're holidaying in France and spot a UFO, you can get locals' attention quickly and efficiently. The lessons are as short as 15 minutes and fit into any schedule and can be downloaded to work on offline while on the go. With the help of everyday dialogue exercises and the speech recognition software, learners can practice their pronunciation and regular vocabulary repetition ensures that what is learned is memorised over the long term. I can already hear some of you listeners getting in touch to tell me I should really learn English given my dodgy accent. When you buy a six-month subscription to Babbel, you receive six months extra for free by using the code AUDIO1. That's A-U-D-I-O-1, the number one. Pay for six months and learn for a whole year. Get info and redeem the code at babbel.com forward slash audio. Folks, today is the day you finally decide to make a life-changing decision and learn that new language. There were a couple of other really interesting parts, you, you know, he was saying that they would keep certain details back from kind of public discourse so that they I could check that when people were repeating. Yeah. yeah, it was yeah. really interesting, right? Like a couple of things came up about like the eyes, how they weren't just big and black. They had irises um, mm. and talking about Travis and a lot of other people were reporting that inside these ships, there are no corners. There are just curved surfaces. Um, which does make me think that Steve Jobs was an alien because apparently his house was the similar kind of thing. He, he hated kind of sharp corners. Uh, but yeah, again, details that you can infer a lot from. And, and Alan kind of emphasized this a lot going through the interview that no matter what detail it is, you can kind of backward engineer the thought and kind of think, okay, if there's a big eye there, why would that big eye be there? Okay, well, they travel in space. Therefore, they're going to need to let more light into their eye to see better. Therefore, their eye would grow. And we know that the eye needs to be round to kind of focus the light on a certain point so that the brain Mm. can read it. And you can kind of start modeling, you know, the anatomy of these things and and whether they could exist uh, based off details like that. And I found that really, really captivating. Um, there, There was a point as well where, it was brought up about why do these things keep crashing if they're so advanced? And Alan rightly said, you know, just because you have a Lamborghini, it doesn't make you smarter than everyone else, uh, which I thought was a really good point, uh, really succinctly put. He, he made the, I think he made the point, and again, there, there will be people listening to this far better versed than me, and maybe even yourself, Dan. I put you obviously knowing more than I do about this. Oh, I would, I would say more than or for me. longer, <laughs> but yeah, shut up. So yeah, more than you as well. Then there you go. But um, the idea that. We assume these things visiting here all made these craft themselves, but they made the point, what if they had just back-engineered something that crashed on their planet? What if they shot down something and now had the crafts through whatever means to fly here? So there's that assumption, isn't there, that, oh, well, these things have this technology, so they must be so much better than us. 
and what if they're just 10 years ahead in a back engineering program and it was yeah. that was a really interesting way to look at it wasn't that a really interesting point um even going back to some of his conversations about Holloman and there there being an APRO office within Holloman Air Force Base yeah some of the individuals involved with that that it was kind of it wasn't unofficial but it was small and it was to the side and and they seemed to have a lot of money as well and they had staff and it seemed like maybe there was an official hand in it and yeah, yeah that, that was intriguing i hope that comes there's, up in their future talks there's a lot in it folks honestly i think it's one that i would definitely recommend you go and check out as a standalone interview um so two two pretty big ones from rich dolan in the space of a week to be fair, um, I, I would recommend checking both of them out. One very much research-based, the other, Alan Levine, a guy with quite an extensive background and character profile, but he he talks about a lot of people um, spanning a lot of time as well. So definitely worth checking both of those out. Yeah, Dan? Yeah, yeah, definitely. They, they, one of my favorite points, I think, from that interview was when they were talking about lost tribes in the Amazon. And, and Alan was quite correctly saying, you know, that we study these tribes by satellite. And these tribes have no idea that this space-faring civilization is studying them by satellite. And apparently they flew a drone in and, you know, it just got speared, basically. And you've got to wonder what that tribe thought when they saw that flying drone. You know, it's going to be like one of us seeing a UFO. Um, and when we went there, we didn't offer technology. We didn't offer to solve their problems. We didn't bring them healthcare. you know. <laughs> so it, it, it's very much a similar situation. But, uh, but yeah, you know, we... we the advanced civilization didn't solve anything for the less advanced civilization. It was just an observational visit, which could be what you, you know our visitors are doing too. Yeah. Can, can yeah. I just drop a, a fact from the interview on you? Because I thought this was really cool. They Go were on. talking about inventions and how it, long it takes them to kind of come to market. When do you think the fax machine was invented? The fax machine? Fax machine, yeah. Um, I would say the fax machine was invented in 1904. 1904? I've ruined your um, question. No, you haven't. Not at all. 1843. Ah. Which is insane. Like, we didn't even have telephones then. And this was, you know, a wired fax machine, and it worked kind of different from the facts that we're thinking of. But that's where it started. The electric motor apparently took 60 years before it caught on after someone patented it. So... You know, just to say basically that this technology, we're we're talking about, you know, gravity technology or anti-gravity technology. Um... 60 years for an electric motor means that, you know, if we got something from Roswell, we're about at the cusp now where we should start seeing it come out. So it, it's intriguing. It's an intriguing possibility, right? 100%. Yeah. No, it's, that, that was a cool interview. And go and check that out. Uh, Ancient Apocalypse, Dan, is one that you wanted to bring up. This is the Graham Hancock series that has just been on Netflix. I touched on this in the solo breakdown a few weeks ago. And I, I saw a little interesting factoid, Dan, uh, that someone had, so the series largely in the mainstream press has been ridiculed, derided, and I think that's probably what Graham Hancock expected because it's something he's he's kind of had to had to accept going through his his career that he gets labels like pseudoscience and you know myth and no facts and no evidence thrown at him quite a lot, so he'll be used to it, and it's probably good advertising as well because it's still doing really well on Netflix in the charts. But I saw a, an article that was quite scathing. I think it was The Guardian or The Telegraph, one of these, reviewing it, where it tears it apart the whole time and then says at the end, and even if all of that's not enough for you, just know that Graham Hancock's son is the senior manager in charge of Netflix unscripted originals. So that's why he basically got this commissioned. I've been unable to find if that was definitely true or not. 
I don't know if you did, Dan, because I, I messaged you about this, didn't I? Yeah, you did. I'm I'm just looking now. I can't see anything obvious on the IMDb. Uh, but I mean, it wouldn't surprise me. Uh, you know, productions are often done by people who have a passion for them, you know, because this stuff I, I heard about two years ago that this was in the works. So it's taken a long time to kind of get there. And it would make sense that Graham's son, uh, you know, help get it there. Does that does that change things for you? Like, do, do no, you believe things a little I, less? I, no, I don't think so, because it fits Netflix, given some of the content they have on there that you would put within a similar vein. I think it's really well produced. Um, I think it looks beautiful. I know sometimes I can say that in a way if something's a bit boring, it looks really nice, but it does. It's it's filmed in some fascinating locations. Um, I don't know if eight episodes is a bit long for it. I, I think maybe five or six might have been fine see i kind of wanted more um that, that's really interesting because you know i i love this stuff um and it was very much the ancient kind of civilization stuff that brought me back into the ufo fold you know as tom Delong came out with ttsa uh but for you this isn't this is like a new thing right maybe not new but you know it's something i've never dived into and in, yeah in watching this it was more of a i'm aware of this stuff but here's some real here's a lot of examples with a lot of context and kind of the rich history of it or rich history you know no pun intended um <laughs> but i thought it was interesting it wouldn't change it for me if, if it was graham hancock's son that commissioned it um i can see why he does get a lot of aggro from the mainstream because it's the same as the ufo subject and trying to talk about that oh, there's no proof there's no evidence it's nonsense but there, there are some things that are raised that you think oh i would love to hear a serious archaeologist come on and not debunk but have a reasoned conversation to say yeah. well actually he makes this point but the reason this could go back this far is just this it could be any number of things and that's just one of them so that that would be fair enough but it just tends to be it's rubbished and dismissed too quickly and it seems to me there's a lot of archaeological neil degrasse tysons out there very happy to you just very well put thank you very happy to sling their mayan mud at the, there's another <laughs> one for you at graham hancock's work without giving people like me who go oh that's interesting what's the argument to the contrary in a palatable way that i can digest that and go actually yep. nah graham hancock's going pure ancient aliens there and doing the whole Giorgio Succulus, you know it must be aliens because of this rather than giving you a reasoned argument as to why it's definitely nonsense. I, I feel like almost the title makes people think that way as well. You know, Ancient Apocalypse, Ancient Aliens, they're not too far from each other, and I kind of wish that it was yeah. called something else, because a lot of people said to me, you know, it's similar. Does this mean that he's talking about aliens? And I was like, yeah, not necessarily. You know, Graham doesn't, he's not into the whole alien idea. He doesn't think we need them. He He's more a champion of there's a big question to be asked here that there was something that happened during the Younger Dryas period uh, where the ice age ended and there was massive warming and we don't really know why that happened and all of this lines up with a lot of civilizations kind of i say civilizations villages and sites and things like that kind of disappearing sea level rises things like that so there's almost a picture being painted that that's what needs discussion you know i i don't want to I'm, I'm bored of hearing you know, people say, oh, Graham Hancock shouldn't be listened to because he was on Joe Rogan. Or Graham Hancock shouldn't be listened to because he went and did ayahuasca. Like, these aren't arguments against the Younger Dryas hypothesis. You're attacking the person, not the message. I, I The same as you. I, I really would love a seasoned academic to kind of address the Younger Dryas hypothesis about whether, you know, there was a solar flare or a bunch of impacts. Because there are legitimately peer-reviewed science papers now that point out that, yes, something happened. 
yes, it's probably an impact or a solar flare. And it's kind of starting to change. And I think in, you know, maybe 15, 20 years, we'll we'll have essentially a changing of the guard in terms of archaeology and things like that. And it'll be a much more accepted fact that, that something happened. Do you know what? One thing I have seen thrown at it uh, is the introduction of the Joe Rogan clips during the documentary. And I think that's just an attempt to try and give it an extra level of credibility with the sure. audience that, oh, look, I was on Joe Rogan, which that that's fine. It's his, his show and someone suggested to put that in there. So great. It doesn't add anything to it. And what maybe would have been better placed would have been if he could have gotten uh, the, the Mick West of the archaeological world, someone on there with a knowledge and a respect to come on and say, look, will you come here and just for these short moments, very quickly debate or have Graham and an other on the screen with him to say, look, I'm presenting this information. Why would archaeologists or why would why would a scholar or an academic, you know, whatever the, the correct terminology would be, why would they debate this? Why would they say this wasn't something more and just have maybe that alternative theory presented? I think that's maybe what's lacking within it, just to have that other side of the coin. Yeah, I, I would agree with you. It should be a discussion where the the points presented, because there are very compelling data points to to you know that that describe this absolutely cataclysmic period to look through, and you you can definitely build that narrative and story. And there are things that we take for granted in that kind of mainstream story, like that we all came out of Africa, for example. There are now a lot of studies emerging where they're like, oh, maybe we didn't. You know, there there are footprints over here, or there are people were hunting fish over here, or you, you know something else that kind of just point to that story not necessarily being absolute. And that's where I kind of want to see explored. You know, you, there's no point in just kind of sitting there and saying I'm right, they're wrong, they should listen to me. Uh, you know, we actually have to do the work here. Uh, and and you know find people that are worth debating uh, for for Hancock and for Randall Carlson and people like Robert Shock and John Anthony West bless his heart John Anthony West by the way if you're not familiar with the name he he did a whole bunch of series about kind of the pyramids and where they come from and all the anomalies there uh, he's passed away now but that's very much kind of where all of that stuff kind of comes from awesome um some of those sites are very beautiful very interesting i would love to go there myself dan uh, in the very near future uh, as in next week you are next off week on your, yeah you are off on your travels aren't you just um, a good time to put this in because people may notice in the coming months that you are either missing for a little bit of time or your audio sounds a bit different or your backgrounds <laughs> are a bit different um but you're heading off for a while aren't you yeah that's right so i decided basically you know saved up a bit of money quit my job, gave my notice on my flat, and I'm just going to go traveling to kind of see a lot of the ancient sites and see a lot of UFO kind of hotspots and things like that. I'll be going to New York, first of all, to see this incredible conference that, that James and Jay have put together and meet everyone there. And after that, uh, my first spot is Mexico City, uh, where I'll be going to kind of see the, the celebrations around the Lady of Guadalupe, uh, which we all know there's an attachment to ufos and to the miracle of fatima there as well as seeing a lot of these ancient sites that you see in ancient apocalypse and this was planned before the show came along just so people know uh, but i'll be doing you know lives and stuff like that from the sites themselves so feel free to follow me on social media things like that and you'll you'll see the videos of my travels and things like that one place that i'm very interested to go to is uh, a town called tampico uh, on the coast the, the caribbean coast of mexico 
they think that the town, everyone there says the town is protected by an alien base off the coast. So hopefully I'm going to spend New Year's there and I'll get to watch the water and see if uh, any lights come out of the water like the, the locals say. Go scuba diving on New Year's Eve. There you go. Um, <laughs> and I think you're you're going to be meeting up with your uncle, Graham Hancock, while you're out there. No, I'm joking. <laughs> so there you are. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's it. Dan will sound a bit different from time to time, but be reporting from the field as such, um, literally yeah, from absolutely. the field at times. Um, so yeah. Well, I'll be look, like your foreign correspondent, you know, for the, for the news. Well, you are because you're Welsh. So. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> um, w- one or two last things, folks, before we head off, there was an interview. I've not managed to actually catch it yet, Dan you have uh, Dr. Brian Keating who interviewed um, along with Kurt Jai Mungle, Tom DeLong and Jim Semivan, you'll remember, earlier this year or late last year. God, the time flies, doesn't it? If there it is really such does, a thing yeah. as time. Um, he interviewed Avi Loeb and Dr. Gary Nolan at the same time um, just uh, a day or so ago. Some of those videos have, however, dropped online. A quick point I wanted to bring up, um, some of the clips I've seen, Gary Nolan talks about Lou Elizondo and Chris Mellon bringing the conversation on UFOs to a place where serious scientists like himself and Avi Loeb and others are now getting on board. And a lot of people fall on different sides of the fence. There are people who, and I have them on my Twitter feed, who worship Lou Elizondo on the ground he walks on. And there are people on the other side of it that think Lou Elizondo is disinformation, psyops, and all that kind of stuff, you know, whatever it might be. And then there's folks in the middle who just take stuff at face value. So I wonder, though, is a lot of that hate towards people like Lou Elizondo, Chris Mellon, because they have managed to package something like the UFO subject in a way that has allowed a progress that wasn't there previously. And I liken it to as someone who's just moved from Samsung to Apple, you know, the Android users would always say that they do it first, but what Apple do is they come along and wait a little while and and do it better and put it out in a more simplistic and palatable way for people to use that product or consume that product. And it made me think, is that all that, the hate kind of goes towards people like Lou and Chris Mellon and Gary Nolan for because they've managed to do something with this topic that's been around for so long, but they've changed the direction of it just by changing the focus of the conversation. Am I making sense? Yeah, you're making sense. Absolutely. And and I think, you know, people are naturally, when, when folks start falling out of favor, you know, off our screen, some, some people can not enjoy that a lot. Uh, and like you say, I, I think maybe some professional jealousy or envy or something like that, or, or the conversation just isn't going how the person wanted it to go. You know, we're very much going down a nuts and bolts road. There's, you know, experience, the discussions are very much ahead of us in terms of the legislation and the, the official Congress conversation. So depending on how people would pitch the subject to someone would mean that they maybe disagree with how these people have put it together. I suppose a big example, Stephen Greer, who for years, and this is not to say Stephen Greer is right, Dr. Stephen Greer is right or wrong, but he is... He's <laughs> he will from, send his people after you if you don't say he, doctor. Not he even will. kidding. He will, yeah. Um, I think on your travels, you're attending one of his uh, meditations and flare droppings, aren't you? Um, no, I joke, of course. I would have Dr. Stephen <laughs> Greer. you me in trouble. <laughs> yeah. Um, no, but like Dr. Stephen Greer famously and would still say to, to this day, Dan, you spoke to him recently with Kurt Jai Mungo, 
that you know these beings are friendly it's love and light they're here to help us we've got all these lovely lovely warnings lovely warnings that's a weird thing to say but you know these these warnings from them and then someone like Ilu Elizondo comes along and we hear threat narrative and we hear military and we hear, you know, X, Y, gimbal, tic-tac, go fast. And it just totally changes all this stuff that's been been in someone's narrative. And you can see why that would totally throw them off, wouldn't you? Because, and it was a bit like when we saw Linda Moulton Howe interview Chris Mellon. My God, that was like, you know... Mr. T and Roddy Piper meeting. They were just two characters <laughs> from two different worlds where you were like, ah, this was a very strange sight to see in the same place at the same time. Um, and it, yeah, it was very, very strange to see that. And I just, yeah, it just made me think because it was Brian Keating was bringing up Gary Nolan's had a lot of attacks and hate thrown his way. And Gary's very much water off a duck's back for him, isn't it? He doesn't, he doesn't bother with that really. I'm sure it bothers him in some way, but he gets on with it. And it just made me start to think about, is it just the way these things are packaged by different people? Were there any other highlights for you from that interview from, from Dr. Keating and Avi and Gary? There were a few things that I've seen discussed that I just wanted to touch on. Uh, one, one thing is that people are saying that Avi, Fooed the Tic Tac stuff that essentially, you know, pushed it off the table. And I wouldn't say that's true at all. Avi, Avi just kind of made the point that without the classified data, the sensor data, it's really hard to get a, a thorough idea of what happened. So your mileage is going to vary when you're listening to people uh, talk about that case, whether it's Fravor or Chad Underwood. Um, but I would say that I feel like there's a lot that Avi could could research that he might not have yet. Uh, so listening to those interviews with the person who filmed it, um, and the Dave Fravor ones and things like that, I, I think would be beneficial for him. But I can also see that he's, he wants to come from a really pure place scientifically, because even since bringing his book out, Avi has been attacked by, I'm, I'm going to change the word attacked, actually, I'm going to say disparaged uh, by, by a lot of academics about how he frames his, his conversations, because a lot of it is about E.T., but I would just say that, that that is just Avi in a nutshell. He's really hopeful that we're going to find something out there. He's He always says scientists should be like kids. And what what more could we want than a bunch of curious children who know science, like the back of their hand, looking at the skies, searching for UFOs? Like, it, it's, you know, it's what we've always wanted. So, yeah, just support that project, I would say. Uh, a lot of things are being rolled out for Project Galileo. Uh, a couple of their sensor systems are in place now. Uh, they're looking for more uh, funding so that they can get more sensor stuff out. But it sounds like the, the question was asked at one point by Brian Keaton to Avi, what would you do with unlimited money? And Avi responded with, that's not a hypothetical anymore, which I thought was interesting. I was like, wait, do you have unlimited money as long as you can justify it as someone, you know, as a billionaire come to you and said, Hey, as long as you can tell me how you're spending this money and justify it, I will give you everything you need to do this properly. Uh, that that's really intriguing. The other thing I wanted to touch on was the, the NASA study, uh, where there's a lot of conversation with, it's very evident that people think that NASA are doing the research now. Yep. And there's a frustration that comes along with that because they look at that, you know, what it's being funded and they kind of say, Oh, that's not enough to do a good job. What NASA are doing now are planning the study. They're not actually doing the study. What we'll hear next year when when this team that's been kind of announced, and you can see them on the NASA website, when they come forward, they will just have basically a 10-point plan. You know, don't hold me to that 10-point thing, but essentially a 10-point plan to study UFOs in a scientific manner. They're not there to say whether they're real or not. 
So when people like Nadia Drake, uh, you know, son of Francis Drake of the Drake equation, when when she, oh, sorry, daughter, not son. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> a little slip. Yeah, when, when she says this stuff is probably not ET, yes, people are absolutely correct. She's concluding before she's looked. But also, she's not going to be someone that's asked to come up for a conclusion for whether these things are real or not. This study is happening because someone at NASA, the higher ups have decided, yeah, these are absolutely real. UAP is a real thing. We need to figure out how we can help. Awesome. Um, a couple of things just before we round off. Uh, a few listeners in the Discord chat had asked us to mention a few things, some of which we've talked about. Um, Dan, did you see uh, two weeks ago the Bigelow Institute for Consciousness tweet? Uh, which again, I'll just read because I've got it up here. Duh, duh, duh. Um, Bigelow Institute for Consciousness Studies tweeted out on November 15th, is humanity facing an extinction level event in the near future? An important part of the BICS grants program is to fund research that considers this problem through authenticated and corroborated information that can be shown to come from senior sources on quote unquote, the other side. Thoughts on that one, Dan? Re- really interesting. It made me think of... Um... Oh, the name's going to escape me now. The uh, the something experiments. Basically, that, that's really going to bug me. I, I promise, though, that I'll find a link to it and we'll put it in the description uh, because they, they were afterlife experiments, essentially, where a bunch of people were gathered in the room. A lot of skeptics were there and they were asking questions to people on the other side. During these these experiments, there was a sealed, you know, never opened uh, canister of camera film put in a safe in the room that these people were in. The answers to their questions had somehow been scraped into the camera film, and they were kind of supposedly technologies shared and stories shared along this kind of strip of, of photographic... Uh, film? I mean, the term escaped me. Film, yeah, film. <laughs> along a strip of photo film, uh, where it was just scratched into it. And, and ever since then, I've been really curious as to whether we could converse with the other side and... and get technology back that would help us converse with them what intrigues me about that though is the kind of the ancient apocalypse kind of angle to all that uh, you know is there an impending catastrophe and the ancient apocalypse idea is that there is a meteor stream that every time earth goes through it it's like running across i'm going to say the m4 it's the m4 is a massive road in the uk that you know chances are you're going to get hit by a car if you run across it hmm. so if there are meteors uh, that, that will hit Earth in this stream. That means that there's a, a kind of a regular clock cycle to it, where we can say the Earth is most in danger here. So I'd be curious as to whether any of the people that are responding to this request from the Bigelow Institute have a notion that you know maybe a solar flare or a meteor is coming that lines up maybe with the data that, that Graham Hancock's dug up from these various different bits of work by experts. Yeah. Uh, Dan, um, another one is the pronunciation of Virginia. Virginia? How Virginia. Do you say Virginia. Obviously, Brazil, where the uh, crash was in the mid 90s. Someone just asked us to pronounce it. Brenta. Yeah, v- v- Virginia. Virginia. I, I know and, some people just read it like vagina. So that, that's acceptable uh, too, but every, it's not. <laughs> every time. Every time. Um, so yeah. And um, also, someone asked about our thoughts on Tim Burchett's interview with Jay from Project Unity. Um, Sounding more glum than Ross Coulthard. Obviously, Tim Burchett's been pretty upset and annoyed that so much is being repressed in terms of information. Clearly, someone who's seen a lot more than he lets on in terms of videos and classified briefings, and no doubt heard a lot more than he lets on as well. 
do you understand the frustrations of a, a Tim Burchett, his politics aside, uh, in terms of that frustration? Like he saw that the 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 congressional hearing that happened, the the disaster with the VLC media player trying to show a video, you know, Brian Moultrie's kind of non-answers and him just being really, really disappointed at the end of it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I can see Tim's frustration. The The one thing I do think about what Tim says is that there's a lot of personal stuff coming into it. So when we hear him say, you know, there's been a cover up for years, he doesn't know that there's a program with a closed door necessarily. I, I get the impression that he's just frustrated for the same reasons we are. He's grown up reading about this. He knows that there has been hijinks and cover-ups over the years and that there's something to uncover here. He just happens to be in a position where, you know, he can push a few buttons kind of thing and, and speak with authority on it. I would love kind of his mind to, you know, to, to see exactly what he's seen. Uh, if he's been shown classified stuff, uh, you, you know, stuff that essentially has been shown in closed-door briefings, that that's what I want to hear him open up about really. Uh, hearing him say, "I'm frustrated," I'm just like, "Cool, Tim, excellent." So are we all let let's give it give us some of the details. You know, if if you're that frustrated, spill. Yeah, and someone else asked about they would just like to hear from people like Lou since it's been a while since they had from them. One way you can hear from Leila Zondo Dan is is so last year we did uh some fundraising we did a charity raffle and the top prize was a call with lou alizondo and that the prize was given to the person who donated most so this year we're going to be launching the raffle this week so keep an eye out for it the top prize is through, just just to say it's through uap media uk so you're yes. going to hear this from Vinny at disclosure team you're going to hear ryan sprague talk about it on somewhere in the skies you'll see graham rendell and dave partridge all tweeting about it and mentioning it too yeah, absolutely. That's right. So we, we have a whole load of great prizes uh, from, from various people who have donated them. But the top prize is a call with Lou himself and uh, a signed copy of his book when it does eventually come out. So keep an eye on your socials. We'll launch that this week. There's also a project that I'm very proud of that's kind of going to be one of the prizes. And, and that is not too long ago, uh, I got in touch with a bunch of outstanding artists in the UFO community on Twitter and things like that, as well as some people who are outside of the community. You know, we have a children's author. And essentially, we've all made Christmas cards that are UFO themed. All the money is going to be going to charity as well. So those will hopefully be up on Monday and people can buy them and all of the proceeds go for charity. We're not taking a penny. All those rights, oh, sorry, all those artists retain rights to their work as well. Um, and they will be championed. And I can't wait to show off the art and to, yeah, to, to show people the just the wonderful things that everyone's done. Yeah, last year was amazing, and it's just nice to give a little something back. The charities this year should be, I think, the Humane Society for Animals again. That's right. And also Cash for Kids, which is a big charity here in the UK, helping impoverished children. Um, something that's already launched, you may have seen if you're on social media, I know many of you are not, is the, the very popular outro to this podcast is by Sean Cahill. People still don't know that. I mention it all the time, but people don't. Um, and it's called Goblin Problems. It's not really available online many places, but people always ask me to send it. And I always have. Sean's been really good basically saying, you know, do what you like. Um, so I asked Sean if we could release it as a kind of 
charity single. So there is a link in the description to the podcast. It's on a site called Bandcamp. And for £3, which is about $4 or roughly whatever that is in your currency, you can donate more than that if you want to. Any proceeds, they basically take a very small percentage for their fees. Then the rest of it comes to me into an account and that will be getting donated fully to Cash for Kids as well. So if you want to purchase a digital copy of the outro to the podcast, Goblin Problems, which you'll hear in a couple of minutes, and I'm not going to play it in full for a few weeks, so anyone who does enjoy it, go and get the single. <laughs> um, then, yeah, please do, because it's just a little something back. Uh, really appreciate it. Thanks to everyone who has already. It's been really, really great. And again, at this time of year, it's just nice to be able to to give something back to animals, kids that you know maybe don't have what everyone else has. So, And I get there's people in a lot of very difficult situations, so thank you very much. Got some other cool prizes donated. I have had here for about six months now. A listener sent me, if you'll remember, Bob Lazar was doing signed prints of the sports model saucer. Um, one of those was donated by a listener in Finland. So that is still yeah, sitting right that. in front of me here in a tube over just, I'm pointing. But yeah, if you're on audio, <laughs> ignore the point. Well, you, you wouldn't see it anyway to ignore. Just picture it on, in your mind if you're on Yeah, if you're on YouTube, YouTube it's That's it's a there. form of telepathy, I'm saying it now. It is, yeah, it's there. Um, some of Richard Dolan's guests would disagree with that, Dan, even existing. <laughs> um, but yeah, so there are lots of cool stuff. The, the tickets will be cheap. Anyone will have a chance of winning stuff on it. Anything you can give is much appreciated. But if you want to pick up a digital copy of the outro to the podcast, you can donate what you like for it. That would be very much appreciated from us. But that is pretty much us for today. So Dan, thanks for your time. Thank you. It's always a, always a pleasure. Highlight of my day to talk to you, my friend. Mm. and next up you are going to be uh, <laughs> on one of Stephen Greer's virtual calls oh, yeah, God. Uh, <laughs> you would love it anyway folks thank you very much for listening and speak soon it wasn't a tic-tac and not quite a saucer more like a hubcap designed by